right? Where just people would churn out content and, and it will make no impact. It will make no difference. But marketers will do this. That's my, that's my concern that we will go too far again. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by Uwe Hook, who is interim CMO and CDO of the Chameleon Collective. Uwe, a very, very warm welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, good weather outside. Thank God. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I've asked always, I've given the briefest of introductions, which doesn't do you justice at all. So for the benefit of those people that are tuning in, if you give just a little bit of context about who you are, where you are at the moment, and you know some of the priorities that you have within marketing. Yeah. So uh, I'm uh, originally from Germany, as you can hear from my accent, possibly, and my weird name. Uh, so I grew up in Germany. I uh, started to work in advertising I uh, was a creative director and then moved to Los Angeles, lived there for 20 years, uh, worked at various agencies, and then later on as an interim CMO for mostly fintech companies and SaaS companies. And then I moved to Amsterdam uh, seven years ago, where I still am. And I'm working for a company called Chameleon Collective. Uh, it's a network of 110 plus sales and marketing leaders. We help transform businesses from within. So we embed ourselves in, our, in the company we're mostly interim leaders, so we're there for, uh, for three to nine to 12 months. And uh, we try to find solutions to, to help uh, the business achieve their objectives. And then um, in opposite to many agencies, we celebrate when a client doesn't need us anymore. So we help them to find replacement for us in-house through our recruiting staff. So you're one of those people that firstly have moved from agency to uh, to client side, and now you're in that position where you're celebrating when agencies uh, don't need the business anymore. I mean, you you can't be popular in your original sort of world you operated in, but very much <laughs> understand the, the the logic of what you're saying. Um, so today we're going to be talking about, um, I mean, it is still absolutely the hot topic um, in not just the marketing world, but the world more generally, and that is AI. But hopefully we're going to be able to provide a few new perspectives, find a few new sort of tensions um, within that conversation. Um, we are probably all familiar as just general citizens of our respective countries that the conversation around AI is both exciting, but also frightening. Um, here in the UK, just as recently as last week, for instance, we had news from British telecoms who um, major telco here in the UK, um, not just of infrastructure, but also of media as well. They're aiming to replace 10,000 jobs by AI, uh, through AI by 2030. These are all really, really scary things. And I think that there is a bit of a temptation to always think, well, my particular industry, we're different. We're insulated from that in some some way. But then when I think that we acknowledge that recently an AI generated image managed to dupe um, the judging panel of the Sony World Photography Awards, that was Boris um, Elgerson, who I think is a, a compatriot of you, um, Uva, um, 
And, you know, we're seeing in America at the moment and actually in the UK as well, um, the Writers Guild going on strike because they are threatened by the lack of regulation around AI. I think that within the marketing, the creative community, we actually need to sit up and listen and try and sort of, I suppose, acknowledge that, yes, this is exciting bits, but we are facing some disruption. And I think that unless we wake up and smell the coffee to sort of use a hackneyed phrase, we're going to be in trouble. Is that something that you, you agree with? Absolutely. I think I think first before we start this conversation, I think we need to define what AI is, right? So yeah. I think AI tools can analyze massive amounts of data, identify patterns and predict future trends. So they're really good in this, much better than human beings uh, mm -hmm. um, are. Uh, so that's what AI is, because some people think AI is a little bit more than that. But at the moment, this is really it. So when you use a large language model like ChatGPT, it's not distilling any new insights. What it does is predicts the next word, right? So that's something that we need to need to understand, not to think that these are conscious machines that can develop new insights or so on. They can't, but they can develop, they can identify patterns that can help us to mm. work more efficiently. That's one thing. So I think that... Um, there's a, there's a saying that was, cra that was um, uh, crafted a few weeks or months ago is um, you will not be replaced by AI. You will be replaced by a person that uses AI. And I think that's very true. So the way that uh, when it comes to creativity, I think that uh, companies should or companies, individuals uh, and companies should use AI at the moment already. Right. If you're not using it, if you're not experimenting with it right now, you're really missing out on opportunities. On, on a personal level, I use it as a virtual assistant. So when I want to craft emails or I don't do it myself, but if I had a team right now that would work, would craft email campaigns, I would use ChatGPT or BART, whatever your the tool is you're using for creating a uh, template or creating some some kind of uh, yeah kind of a template for an email campaign and then you can working with a with a LLM you can then actually make it much more targeted uh, make it more uh, working for the especially in B2B marketing it's very important B2C is often going to the masses B2B is really going to uh, smaller audiences and you can craft your message based on um, the way you, you kind of work with or prompt uh, the LLM model. Right. So I think, uh, in general, this is the way I, we can use it right now, which goes back to the message, so how scary is it? Um, I think that um, we don't know yet, right? Like uh, one example is if I read a book, um, I, uh, I will digest the information of this book if a, a language, a large language model reads a book, all the network it's connected with read that book, right? So the learning within those LLMs and uh, also visual AI is exponential. It's not human-based. So we don't know yet how far this will go. What we know right now is that it can help you, uh, A, in content generation and personalization, uh, it can help help you in generating innovative ideas and creative concepts. Uh, and it can also support 
specifically creative, but also media staff, you know, people that work with numbers a lot to automate repetitive and mundane tasks. So it, it can be very helpful to you. Uh, but on the scary end, and we can, we can also look, we should also look at the part that what AI can do at the moment and might mm. never be able to do. But on the, if let's, I give you an example. If I have an in-house marketing department with four copywriters and um, one content director, let's say that's a very typical setup for a medium-sized mm -hmm. company. Um, I would consider as a CMO replacing one or two uh, copywriters. Uh, not replacing that. I would lean towards saying, can we use two copywriters with uh, support of the virtual assistant of ChatGPT, let's say, to then uh, create content that normally, like a junior copywriter, when you go to them, you need to craft a drip campaign, five emails, targeting this audience and so on. They take a while to get started, right? It's, I can, but I can go to an LLM model right now and within a few seconds, I got a template, what to do. And then I can use a, con a senior copywriter and the content director to make it more human, to make it better. Uh, to, but the first draft is there. And the people that normally did the first draft, they are possibly replaceable. I would definitely yeah. experiment with this. And in this current economic environment where everybody's looking for savings, I think that's definitely an option that many companies are looking at right now. I think, I mean, I absolutely agree with you in terms of um, it, it is not about a complete replacement, but it is going to change the shape of teams quite radically. And it will change the, the, the size of teams. Um, you know, within that sort of example that you sort of described, there is almost an argument that those four copywriters um, become obsolete within that. And then you have one, you know, someone experienced editor because the efficiencies and the sort of the speed that the initial copy can be generated means that actually a single editor would be able to have the same amount of output. And that, that is from a, you know, a, a business perspective, you know, clearly very, very appealing. There's a huge amount of efficiency there. But from a people perspective, that is worrying. But I think that it's worrying in the very short term, because that means that those individuals are potentially having to seek alternative employment, which is, you know, obviously is, is undesirable. But I've been sort of like mulling over this in my head. And I think that there is a almost a a longer term and therefore a more systemic problem of that is that where I see AI being most disruptive is, as you've described, at that junior mid level of content creators especially and, and creatives more generally. Now, if we are in a situation where AI comes in and it disrupts that, that level, but the more senior experienced editors, content directors, creative directors or whatever it is, they they need to remain because they need to be the ones that make the ultimate decisions and, and direct it and produce something finally. That works in the short term. But what happens in terms of the succession planning for those more senior people, because those junior people are not going to have that opportunity to gain the right experience, to build up that right skill set. So the, the thing which actually worries me is that what happens in five, six years time when that succession needs to happen and the people haven't been able to develop the skill set. Is that something that you have? Uh, well, you, you share that view. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I started as a junior copywriter. I, I, have, yeah. I have a typical marketing, uh, uh, not typical, but at the, the you, unusual, usual marketing career. I studied law. I have a law degree, and then I didn't want to go into uh, work as a lawyer. So I went, became a junior copywriter. And I, I worked at a creative agency in Hamburg, Germany. And um, my first assignment was to write headlines for a tourist companies for a certain destinations like Greece and, and Spain, etc. Kind of, um, uh, yeah, like they had a certain style, so I had to mimic the style. Uh, and I did actually a few weeks ago, I, I tried this with ChatGPT. It's like, tried 10 headlines in the style of this. And the headlines that ChatGPT generated was better. They were better than the headlines that I created like 25 years ago, right? So I totally agree with you there. Uh, you in the you know the the when you're starting at an agency as a junior, junior media planner, junior, junior copywriter, junior designer, so on. You're kind of costing the agency money, or because you you're you're there on a learning path, right? Like they are trying to mentor you. Uh, and it took me a year or two until I became a fairly decent copywriter. Same as media planners, right? Normally we hire people from from college or university. They have, they didn't study advertising. They might have studied English and so on. So like I go into advertising and then we put them in front of spreadsheets and they learn over time. And this will fall away. I, I totally agree with you. It's, a, it's going to be a big, big problem. Um, agencies or marketers in general have not a good history of um, educating or mentoring their employees. We've been terribly at, at, at this, right? It's um, It's been a historic issue for, for agency and marketers. And this will go even worse. Uh, uh, this will be even worse. And then we are kind of stuck in hiring people maybe from places that studied advertising. And I'm not a big, I'm sure there are amazing people out there who studied advertising. I haven't worked with one yet. I haven't met them yet. I like people that have a different background, who have like a more varied background, who have more like who want to understand human beings better and not like do better advertising, right? So, um, yeah, I think this will be a real, real challenge for the industry. I totally agree with you. We're stuck with the agencies, in my experience. Um, you're, you might be the exception, but often there is, you know, there's already the middle is often very weak right now. You have strong leadership, you have strong junior people, and then often the middle is the one that has been caved out, especially by holding companies. You know, I worked mm. with um, within holding companies where I felt like I needed a middle person there, somebody who understands understands um, advertising or understands the client, but is not ready to lead it yet. And they mm. often are falling away quickly, and they, this will get, get worse over time. I, I agree because it takes away that opportunity to hone hone your craft fundamentally. And just just very quickly in terms of coming to this industry from a different background, I don't really talk about it much. But buried in my CV is also a law degree as well. So you know, it's clearly that is the the pathway that you want to take in terms of yeah. uh, coming the, into this industry. The grave the graveyard the graveyard of lawyers is marketing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, indeed, indeed, indeed. So if we're to think about this problem, I just appreciate we're we're going to go really big now in terms of uh, problem solving. Do you feel that the uh, responsibility needs to be from government to actually legislate? And that's what, for instance, the, the writers who are on strike are, are calling for. Or actually, does it need to be a 
proactive movement from companies who real realize that they are um, setting themselves up for longer term problems and to get a, a balance. Where, where do you feel the responsibility lies? I think the responsibility lies within governments, but I'm very skeptical that they will be able to regulate this. Um, in the U.S., um, I lived in the U.S. for 20 years. Um, the U.S. is... They I mean some of the senators or Congress people. They don't even understand Facebook or any of the digital marketing tools. I, I mean, we don't understand. Uh, I don't understand AI fully. Right? I understand what it does, but I don't know, you know, how it how it does the things it does. So I'm concerned um, regula that regulation will come from government. I'm also concerned. So maybe more from the EU. Maybe because the EU has been much better in that regard, much more stricter when it comes to privacy laws, etc. There might be an opportunity within the EU, but government you know, regulations take a long time. And as I mentioned before, this this is this is I mean the the adoption rate and the hype cycle. I mean it came out in November, I think, ChatGPT, and now everybody's talking about it. That, that has never happened before. You know, when this when when the iPhone came out, it still took uh, took four or five years until there was a mobile advertising environment that worked. Uh, but now it's just like I mean, you go on LinkedIn, and it, it, it I mean, there's a lot of hype there, obviously, but mm -hmm. there's also um, there's so much innovation happening, really exponentially, that I'm worried that government won't be able to do it, and companies will not do it. Right. In the end, companies will not do it because they're not, let's say even the Western society companies would say, let's get together. China won't do it. Right. China won't be in the same. Mm. Uh, um, I, I don't think we're going to have the nuclear uh, deterrence strategy for AI. I don't think that's going to happen because the benefits of AI for society um, are so tremendous, right? Like we're talking about marketing right now and, and, and other things, but think about cancer research. So many things that we can do now, um, um, radiologists will most likely disappear in a few years, right? There will be, because uh, AI is so much better in detecting those patterns than, than, than uh, radiologists will ever be. Now you will mm -hmm. have, you will have a, Human being at the at the final chain of the links, but but you don't want um, but but you don't want the person to look at these patterns. You want just person to verify that the end the human being. So I'm very so as I can so I have no hope in regulation really um, in that regard. I just think there might be an opportunity for um, uh, that people. People will understand how AI works, what it can do for you, that it might come from grassroots more than it comes from politicians from top down, that maybe human beings will say, we don't want this. We don't want to go this far. And then governments have to regulate it. But I'm, I'm fairly skeptical, of, skeptical about the, um, the, the possibility of doing this. Mm, mm. I think it's just... Sorry to, very, be, to be a bummer. No, no, not not at all. I mean, this is I think this is exactly the sort of mature conversation that everyone needs to have because there is still a sentiment within the industry where um, everyone's like, it's not going to affect us. It's fine. There's a little bit of a head in the sand. So it, I actually feel that the sooner that we can have these honest conversations about the potentially 
negative disruptive effects, um, the better. And when we we will be able to work out a plan of how to deal with it. And something that just struck me, I mean, this is a very small idea that only just occurred to me as you were saying there in terms of um, you know, younger people um, using a AI and developing, you know, different ways of, um, you know, utilizing it for different use cases. That I think potentially is the hope for the the more junior generations is that because of the the environment they're brought up in, because they are, you know, absolutely digital natives um, and have a much more sort of intuitive understanding of these technologies, the their ability to apply that to probably, um, you know, non-work environments at first, but then to see how those can be sort of reapplied into a working environment actually potentially is the future for um, junior creatives. It's about ingenious and, to be honest, at this point, unexpected ways of using AI and then bring, them bringing that in. So potentially there is going to be that correction there. Um, but just to bring this down to, um, you know, the marketing level again, and um, we talked about it from a sort of regulation perspective. We talked about how the US certainly their sort of legislature is behind the curve. If you were to think about within the marketing communities that you operate in, the companies that you're aware of, what would you say is the sort of the current level of understanding and perception when it comes to AI within the marketing community as a, as a whole? It, uh, it's still at the very early stages of the hype cycle. So mm. I think um, we've been through this, right? We've been in 2001, we had the digital revolution. Uh, and then suddenly people said, you know, when the stock market tanked, as people said, digital is over. And it still took two, three years to come back. We had the social revolution that it took a long time to really, um, to, to really hit. Same with mobile. So I think that maybe 10, 20% of, um, marketing departments currently are using AI in some, in some ways. And I think that's also, that's also, it's also fine, right? I, I think it's not about to say, okay, we got AI now, we have to change everything. I think it's really more about experimenting with it, playing yeah. with it. So um, you can, your, your focus is B2B. You know the, the worst stock photography is in B2B. So I think it would be an opportunity for any B2B marketer to look at the website and say, like, what can we do within... Uh, with with the new visual tools like DALI or so on to create something much more interesting, right? Like to create a world that we don't have money for. You know, normally B two B companies, medium sized companies, they don't have thousands, hundreds of thousands of euros or dollars to spend for photography. Suddenly, you have this opportunity to do this, right? So um, same with um, as I mentioned before, email campaigns, um, new ways of uh, SEO is a really big uh, opportunity, right? I mean, you can create thousands of SEO pages now um, without having really to engage a, a, a copywriter, you know, maybe a content director, mm -hmm. as you mentioned before. Um, my biggest, and, and just to say, so there are opportunities there. My concern is, it kind of goes back to the conversation we had before, what we, um, the tendency of digital marketers has been to go way too far, right? Like we, when we started with the banner ad around the 2000s, right? It was a, the banner ads that we were working on, they actually worked. There were really good click-through rates, right? There was a, 
homepage takeover on Yahoo. There was very, there was kind of like a New York Times um, uh, um, page two ad, right? It was effective. Everybody saw it. And then we started to say, why don't we put, why don't we put banners everywhere, right? And now you have the experience where you go to some desktop or mobile sites where you don't even know where the content is anymore. Still, you know, after 20 years, same with social, the same with social, mm-hmm. where we just went too far. Uh, and my concern is that we're going to have, it's not a concern. I, I think it's a prediction that I believe will come true. We will have a content tsunami, especially when it comes to B2B, right? Because it's so easy now to create content and it's going to be terrible, mediocre content. We had content farms before, they will all disappear. And now we're going to have content factories like Chinese style mass Foxconn factories, right? Done by AI, right? Where just people will churn out content and, and it will make no impact. It will make no difference, but marketers will do this. That's my, that's my concern that we will go f- too far again. It's like, oh, we have this tool now. Let's use it to, to, uh, uh, as much as we can. Yeah, and I agree in terms of, and it's a fear, and the word I always use is what we're going to end up with a huge amount of um, homogeneity in terms of the content that's out there because people are ultimately going to be using the same <laughs> instructions to give to uh, yeah. ChatGPT and whatever its um, um, you know replacements are or whoever comes out, and therefore we are going to get that sort of recycling, constant recycling of that same material. And this is just one bit of um, you know hope, I suppose, is whilst um generative ai i do believe is a significant and existential threat to the copywriter i think this is where journalism actually comes back into the play because copywriters are by and large it's about they'll do the desk-based research which is online um and then it's reforming that together to make whatever the uh the piece is the argument journalism is investigation it's speaking to new sources and i think this is where the big difference is going to be for for marketers the temptation to use something like chat gpt to uh, produce really really good seo content is going to be too great to resist and they and they will do it you're right we're going to get to that stage of saturation but what i think is going to be really important and will be the big difference is for those marketers who realize if that is going to be the case, how do I bring in some originality to that? And to be honest, the way that you bring originality in is by doing your own proprietary research, whether that's interviews with different people within the industry, getting their opinions and perspectives, that changes it. Whether it's doing proprietary research and having you know your own quant data, you've got to invest in those points of difference um, because otherwise you're totally right. We are going to end up in that tsunami of you know, beigeness probably is the truth. Yeah. Um, I could honestly, I could go on just talking about this all day and I probably would we'll take it into all sorts of different sectors and societal sort of concerns. But I am I am conscious of um, of time. And what I cannot do is let you leave before I ask you our house question. Um, now, this could be an AI example that you give us, but equally, it could be a very, very artisanal human example as well. But I'm really interested to know, when was the last time that you saw or experienced a piece of marketing, advertising, creative that really moved you on an emotional level? Yeah, so I'm a father of a teenage daughter and uh, um, the, the pandemic years 
uh, were very rough on teenagers, um, on, on their mental health, coupled with social media. And so um, I love the Dove campaign, Real Cost of Beauty. Um, um, it's, I don't know if I'm pretty sure you're aware of that, mm -hmm. but it's, um, it, it, uh, it really hit me in the gut and in the heart. It's, I actually watched it like three, four days ago. I watched it four or five times and every time I see it, I tear up because it's such a human truth. It kind of comes back to AI to say like, that's something that, um, uh, AI will never understand. It's a human truth that, uh, um, how uh, these tools uh, uh, have really affected, impacted, especially young young women, uh, tremendously, and that, that we have to find a way to to register that back. That we we come more to a society where everybody feels loved and everybody feels beautiful. It's I mean it is a very a powerful one, and I think that it it moves. I mean. I often I will speak to parents and parents are the people who articulate that, but it it transcends I think beyond that in terms of its impact and its its power. So I think thank you very much for sharing that example, which is probably it's a nice note to end on after our sort of semi dystopian conversation. Um, but you know, but my obvious bias aside, I've really enjoyed speaking about this as a topic, and I think what is refreshing is that we've looked at it with a relatively truthful uh, and candid perspective. I think that anyone is naive if they are to think that AI does not have a disruptive potential. Um, and within that short term, it is going to, there are going to be some casualties, which is unpleasant because of the, the nature of how it can increase the speed and scale of the first parts of a creative process, whether that's research, whether that's working up a, a first draft. However, I do think that we have got reasons to be optimistic about that future, but it's going to be on brands to look at how we bring in and find those additional bits of originality and recombine those. And then sort of secondly, and this is that sort of idea that I didn't particularly explain very well that occurred to me is that with new generations coming through and playing with AI within their own environments, we will come across innovative ways of using AI, um, which actually will empower those um, younger generations within the workforce. You know, there's a parallel, I think, if we are to think about the um, uh, creators um, on TikTok and how that has influenced wider marketing um, practices as well. And I'm sure there will be parallels with uh, what is possible with, with generative um, AI as well. So, um, Uwe, that has been a fantastically um, interesting conversation. Um, thank you very, very much for joining me on the podcast. And I hope we have an opportunity to catch up again soon. That was great. Thank you. B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.